I went for a run just to see if I could do it. I jumped rope, but I used to run, so I wanted to run and see how far I could get. I figured, hey, why not? I was going to run a mile and see if I went past a mile and see how fast I could go, whatever, whatever. So I'm running, and I see a brother from church. And I was like, oh, that's that brother from church. And I'm like, what's going on, brother from church? And he sees me. He's like, what's going on, guy? So I'm still moving, and I'm moving. He waves me over. I slow down. Don't know why I did this. But anyway, I gave him my elbow. This one right here. And then what ended up happening is that he came up to me, bigger guy, considerably bigger than me, bigger than me. Might have been twice as big as me, twice as tall anyway. Anyway, he gives me a pound with his fist. And I pull my fist away, but he catches my arm. And I'm like, all right, man. And he goes, you looking good, brother. Keep it up. And I'm like, how am I supposed to keep it up when you just gave me the Rona? So I'm running down the street. I keep running. And I'm like, what the hell? Why would you do this? Why did he do this? I'm screaming in my head. And I run dead into a hole right in front of me. And when I came out of that hole, my right ankle was still in it because I rolled my ankle completely over. And I screamed at the top of my lungs. There were people all around, children all around, and I was dropping F-bombs like napalm all over the place. But I did the black man thing. I kept running. And then the run, you know, I tried to play it off, and the run turned into like a slow jog, and then the slow jog turned into a fast skip hop type thing, and then the fast skip hop thing turned into like a slower one foot drag until I finally stopped and bent over. And I was like, why in the world did I stop for that dude? And then amazingly, I went home and everything was fine. Three days later, I could not even stand up because my right ankle swole up like a balloon. The Rona just keeps getting me day in and day out. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree in getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTac beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Picking up where we left off, I remember looking out across my deck, out across the grass, out across the sky, and I said, forget it. And I dialed her number. Who is her? For those, for the uninitiated, those of you who haven't heard previously, her, from the last episode, is the young lady that I first dated when I was on the rebound from getting divorced. Her is the person that I had a particularly difficult time trying to quote unquote date because 
she came to the table with a bunch of expectations, hopes, and I guess ideas for what the kind of relationship we should have based on the kind of husband that I used to be based on the lack of use, misuse, ill use of my manhood as a husband. But it didn't work. Why? Just to give a refresher course, because I was damaged goods. Why? Because I was in pain. Why? Because I wasn't built to handle anybody else's desires and expectations, nor should nor should anyone outside of a marriage contract. I mean, there's some basics around expectations, but it's very hard to live up to someone else's expectations because their expectations are in their head. Now, once they're communicated out, you can compromise, you can find some middle ground. But that wasn't going to happen between the two of us because she was single. She was tired of being single and she wanted me. It didn't work because I wasn't ready and I wasn't honestly worthy to give her the things that she needed. And one more time for the people in the back, I was damaged goods. We tried. We had a sexual encounter that did not go well. To learn more about that, check out season one. But here she is two years later, texting me saying she wants nothing from me but me. No commitment, no strings, no nothing. She's just tired of being alone. And she doesn't want to be alone with me. So in my head, I'm like, Dag, did I give off that kind of vibe? That I'm like, some, I got some kind of ho-daddy vibe? We haven't spoken in, I mean, we're not speaking. We haven't spoken. I mean, I did bump into her in the street a year before when I first started working at the university, we spoke. Um, she was on her bike, and I was walking, and we just chit-chatted for a few minutes. But other than that, we hadn't talked at all. So I don't know if our mutual friends had been, like, cluing her in as to my growth and progress or anything like that, but this was a complete out-of-the-blue call for me. So I called. Hey, it's me. How are you? She responded back, Hi, so, about that text, I know it might have seemed a little upfront and maybe even graphic, but let me explain what I meant. And essentially what she was saying is that she was dating, she was looking to meet new people, this, that, and a third, but she was tired of being celibate, and she wanted to not be celibate with me while she, I guess, took sex off the table with these other people that they that she was meeting now that kind of struck me <laughs> kind of struck me like so you want me to be your plaything while you actually try to have a real relationship i don't really know if that makes any sense but i wasn't there as the make sense police so it didn't really matter and i kind of shelved that aspect of myself and we talked and we laughed and we caught up and she told me what was going on with her parents. I told her what was going on with my parents. We talked about uh, back home because she's from the same city that I'm from. A little bit, we talked about that. We talked about what was going on here in Atlanta. And we set up a time to meet, which was the next day. And she said, yeah, I can come through. When we were interacting before, I was living out of my apartment with no furniture. Now I had a house. Now I'm comfortable now I'm established unemployed but established and in shape and or getting in shape and feeling good about myself and actually very positive about the fact that 
I got laid off and full of joy and all this, that, and a third. It was all good. There was nothing going on with me that was creating any insecurities inside of me that would have prevented from me, that would have prevented me, that would have prevented hamstrung, sidelined my ability to just spend time with her. And the interesting thing about when you go from dating mode to sexing mode is that it might even be a better place to be because you are removing expectations from yourself. You don't have expectations of that other person. You aren't looking for certain things from the other person. I mean, outside of them picking up the phone, you aren't necessarily looking for anything from them except their company. I didn't know this at the moment, but I was going to I was soon about to find out because she came by my house the next day. She came by in the evening. Gave her a tour. And she was very complimentary, marveled over all the things that I had done with it so far. I had been in the house for almost a year. And I took her out on the balcony that's off of my bedroom. And she sat out there with a drink. I think I poured her a glass of wine. And she sat out there with a drink while I sent a resume. And I sat across from her at a table. Um, There's a chaise lounge. I sat across from her at a table working on my resume while she sat on the chaise lounge looking up at the sky and talking about how beautiful everything was. And I finished the resume. I closed my laptop. I sat down next to her and I said, so, and she said, so, and she said, I was waiting so impatiently for you to finish that, whatever it was you were doing on your computer. I was like, oh my God, would you hurry up? And she leaned in and kissed me. It was a great kiss. It was an incredible kiss. And we began outside on my deck, off my bedroom, that faces the street. But luckily I'm on a cul-de-sac and I have a gigantic collection of trees that are on the cul-de-sac. So you really can't see me in my house unless you're really looking up in my house. We started outside, we finished indoors. And it was a completely different experience than two years earlier when she was trying to be my girlfriend and demanding that I be her boyfriend. It was a completely different experience. It was expectation free. She was free. She was uninhibited. She wasn't telling me what to do. Nothing. It was incredible. In fact, it was better than anything I had experienced up until that point, which left me scratching my head. I felt no guilt, I felt no sorrow, I felt nothing. All I wanted was her and more of her. And I kept going and going. I just let go. Over the course of that night, I literally felt myself being consumed with lovemaking and consuming her. And I just kept going. Thanks in part to spin class because spin class, shout out spin class. What I discovered was that I had an endurance, a cardio endurance that I previously hadn't had. And it benefited me fantastically in the midst of this dance that I was doing with my old friend and former attempted girlfriend. The more she gave, the more I took, the more I gave, the more she received, the more we went at it, the more I wanted her until she said she had to stop because she was out of gas. It was incredible. 
It was absolutely incredible. And it's not a moment that I have ever forgotten. And it continued. But the thing about letting go and not letting God, but letting go and letting forces in that you previously haven't toyed with is that things get out of control really, really fast. It's just it felt good to be loved up on by her her was incredible the sex with her was incredible my old rebound friend kissed me like a long lost lover every single time it was like our faces were melting into each other she whispered baby in my ear the entire time we made love. It was exhilarating to be free of any and all expectations. Combined with my growing strength and endurance from the workouts, I was having more fun than I ever did as an idiot 20 year old, 20 something. Something inside of me became unlocked. There was a growing inability inside me to be satiated. And that was a very complicated way for me to say I became insatiable. My lust grew out of control. I wasn't lusting after women the way men whistle at women walking down the street or something like that. And I wasn't thinking about sex all day long because honestly, I think about food the most. My hierarchy of thoughts is food because I'm always thinking about my next meal. Then money. And sex and a superhero of, you know, the superhero that I'm focused on at the moment, they kind of interchange. So sex is sex vacillates between three and four for me. It's definitely not the first thing on my mind. And it's not something that I think about all the time. But women. I began to become. Very enamored. With a woman's touch. A woman's touch was the thing that made me feel the most uncomfortable after divorce. But now I yearned for a woman's touch. I yearned for her softness. I wonder what she tasted like on my lips. I wonder how she felt in my arms. I wonder when she kissed me, would she grab the back of my head or would she run her fingers or fingernails down my back? I wanted to be held. I wanted to be embraced. I wanted to be loved up on. I wanted to be called baby. For however long the time was that I had with somebody, I wanted to feel how they made a man feel. Things got out of control very quickly. Everything in my upbringing had told me that what I was doing was wrong. No sex before marriage. Well, that went out the window long before I even got married. But I had a chance to get back to it. I kept vacillating between being celibate and not being celibate. I listened to the, the advocates for celibacy and they seemed so firm and, and moral and proper and on the right path. But I just couldn't do it. I didn't understand like why I, 
I, I, I, I agreed with everything. I agreed with the Devon Franklins of the world. I agreed with everyone that talked about saving yourself in marriage, even if it was the second time around. All the pastors, I agreed with all of them. I agreed about the marriage bed and all of that stuff. But when it came down to it, I wanted to know women biblically. And I could no longer contend with the war going on inside of me where me wanting what I wanted ran in direct conflict with what I thought I should believe. So I let it go. And when I let it go, the floodgates opened and the women seemed to be coming out of nowhere. It began with my old friend and then I began adding women onto the into the rotation. I became more like a fox than a wolf. I made it a point to meet women where they were, to learn who they were, to talk less about me and talk more about them as much as possible, to make them laugh, to make love to their minds long before I even attempted to make love to them directly and make love with, not to, but make love with them. I wanted them to be with me in that moment where nothing else was, just us and the sounds of our bodies in the night or the day, depending on what time of day it was. When I talked to women, I looked into their eyes. I called them. I followed up. I did whatever I needed to do to meet them wherever their mind was, not their body, but their mind. Foreplay for me began the second I said hello. I found something that was of interest to them, and I started speaking to them about that. I asked them who they were. If I met them out in the street, if I met them at the gym, if I met them at the park, if I met them at the store, if I met them at a wine tasting, wherever it was, it was the same routine every time with a different woman. And the difference of the woman made all the difference in the world. With every woman that I bed, I gained that much more knowledge of the opposite sex. Not for the purposes of taking advantage of, because, but ultimately I guess that's what I was doing, but more for the sake of understanding. It was like reading a book. Soul ties aside, I wasn't phased by the soul ties. And the reason I wasn't phased by the soul ties is because I just didn't care. And it felt so good. So, so good to not care. Coffee, lunch, dinner, maybe. And I was in bed with the next one. You know, a lot of people talk about having sex four to five times a week, you know, in a healthy sexual relationship, having sex four to five times a week. Well, I was doing that, but with like three to four different women. There were some days that I slept in because I was I was worn out. And these women weren't slouches. They weren't young. They weren't easily preyed upon. They weren't enamored by me like, you know, because I was my age. These were women in my age group in their 30s. These women had careers. They made money and they knew I had just lost my job and didn't care. Maybe because they saw my drive. Maybe. Well, they not maybe they said they knew that I was working towards the next thing. I wasn't sitting on the couch scratching my proverbial nuts. I was working, you know, interviewing, debating like what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Being thoughtful about who I was and who I wanted to be. Not when I grew up, but tomorrow. What alarmed me about all of this was that it was just too easy it was too easy to meet a woman. It was too easy to talk to her. It was too easy to go to have coffee or lunch. The conversations were just too easy. It was too easy to end up in the bed. 
it was all too easy and I was not meeting easy people. And it was so easy, it made me wonder, has it always been this way? Where was I? How did I end up being in a situation where I felt denigrated, judged, demeaned, and marginalized for who I was? It was so easy that I began to question who I even used to be. And I started to get mad at that person because he was an idiot. If it was this easy to gain the affection of a black woman, how in the world did I allow myself to be in a relationship for 15 years where I felt like I was giving too much and never got enough in return? How? Well, that question was never going to get an answer that was satisfactory for me. But the answer to that question was that I just simply was no longer the person that I used to be. I was a person who understood my value or began to understand my value and was aligning myself with other individuals that appreciated my value as well. As a result of the mistakes and errors that I had along the way, I was now applying the mistakes and the errors as lessons in my life in order to be a better person to these new people that I was meeting. So I couldn't have been this person before. I wouldn't have even thought to do it. Because in my marriage, I was perpetually chasing after the initial butterfly stage that we had when we first met and never adapting to the fact that both of us were changing as we aged, got new careers, and had children. But because even then I wasn't who I am now, I didn't understand that. And not having an answer as to why this was so easy and why life had been so hard when I was married, in not having an answer to that question, Eric Payne began to get angry all over again. But he wasn't angry with his ex-wife. He wasn't angry at his mama. He wasn't angry at his daddy. He wasn't angry at society. He wasn't angry at any friends. This time, Eric Payne was mad at himself and began to go down the path of unforgiveness of self for things that were completely out of his control. And why were they out of his control? Because it was the past and the past is dead. This unforgiveness of self grew just as my lust for women did. It was a poison pill I began taking every day. And I experienced the effects of it all day long. On the one hand, it made me intolerant to nonsense, trauma, and the games that people play when it comes to relationships. But it also shortened my fuse to the point that I had very little patience for my ex-wife. And I would erupt angrily at her anytime we didn't see eye to eye. My fuse was so short, my temper was so out of control, it was almost as if our roles in each other's lives had become reversed. The blessing of being free of expectation and free with my urges came intertwined with the curse of an extremely bad temper. Something that was probably always there. But I had spent so much of my life repressing my emotions, repressing everything to be the good guy, to be what I thought I was supposed to be, to be whatever it was I figured God wanted me to be, to be this person because to be anything else would be wrong according to 
what I believed and the pressures I had put on myself and the pressures, honestly, that other people had put on me. That once I let go of all of that to experience the other side, all of my urges, all of my emotions, good and bad, like a dam bursting, they all rushed to the surface. And I was dealing with everything, the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. This has been another episode of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. I'm your host, Eric Payne. Thank you for subscribing. Please share with a few friends. If you like the show, I would be ever so grateful for a review. If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, if you are listening on Spotify, I'd love if you click that follow button or anywhere else you listen. I'd love it if you subscribed. Please check out my merch store to see if there's anything that you'd like. Please follow me on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram. Thank you. See you the next time.